0: man. I'm glad to be here. I've got a beautiful wife, Kim. I got three babies. I love being a pastor, but I love being a pastor that, um, uh, in Lexington, Kentucky, they, they view, uh, football season. There's a pre basketball season. So they don't care. They don't care what Alabama's doing. They don't care what LSU's doing. They don't care. It is basketball season. And, um, and it's been good, and, and you know, when I got into ministry, uh, I, I, I mean, I, lo- I love ministry, uh, I, love, uh, I love getting to do it, but I'm going to tell you, when I got into it, I, I got into it with really the idea that um, there was that kind of a certain way I was going to end up having to do it, like you got you to wear a lot of golf shirts, and I don't own a lot of golf shirts, and you're going to have to get some khaki pants, I don't have any khaki pants, and, and then you got to tuck your shirt in, and I just, I don't tuck my shirt in, and And I thought, you know, to be able to be a pastor and to ever be able to do this, like I was going to basically have to give up my manhood to get to do it. And then I realized if I was going to be able to last, I was going to have to start looking a little bit more like my Jesus and a lot less like the version of Christianity that we've made up. And my Jesus is a man's man. My Jesus took a beating that would have broken me and you. And he took it like a man. He stood up for things when he, thought, when, when he saw that they were wrong. And so today, I just, I just want to, I, I, I'm not, not going to preach, preach. I, I, I want to teach you. And, and so, man, if you got a cell phone, an iPad, a something, take notes. I really want you to take notes because I, I came here today because I want you to, I want to give you something that when you walk out of here, your family starts to look different. Um, your relationship with your spouse looks different. Your relationship with your kids look different. The way you serve in this church looks different. And I'm going to tell you, if you're like me, you're going to walk out of here, and your memory's worse than mine. And I'm going to tell you, by the time I get to the airport today, I will not remember one of my points. So if I'm not going to remember anything, I know you're not going to. And I, I want you to take some notes, and because and, I, I think we kind of get in the habit of uh, coming to, like, like Pastor said, come in and get, get, my, get blessed. Okay, but I want to get you trained up today. Because... When the weekend turns to Monday, if you don't have any steps to take, information without application will never lead to transformation. Okay, you gonna go with me today? Now lean in, I know that burrito's starting to sit on you. Some of you guys did more physical exertion in the last two hours than you have in the last six months. I saw you in them sumo suits, but I want you to stay with me for a little bit. Look, I don't have a lot to say that's gonna be super funny, so let me tell you this joke that I heard the other day uh, to kind of kick things off. So there's these three couples and they were, um, they were older couples and, and uh, been married for a long time. And, and uh, they were in the car together, drove off a cliff, died, all three couples, husbands and wives. They find themselves standing up there in, in heaven and, and St. Peter's standing there and he says, uh, he got, the first couple walks up and he grabs his wife's hands and he says, come on baby, let's, let's go see if we can get in. And she, he looked at her and... St. Peter, he pulls that good book out and he says, "He's looking through." He said, "Uh," he said, "Brother, we got a problem." He said, "You loved money so much in your life that you married a woman named Penny." You can't come in. He look all sad. He gets his wife's hand. They walk away. The next couple comes up, and this brother's nervous. Hands are sweating. He grabs his wife and says, come on, baby, let's go up there. And he looks through that old book, and he says, uh. He said, man, we got a problem. He said, you loved alcohol so much in this life, you married a woman named Brandy. That third man standing in the back, he was nervous. He could tell this wasn't going to work out good. He looked at his wife and said, Come on, Fanny, we ain't got a chance. (laughs) Come on, that's good. (laughs) He said, Uh uh, ain't got a chance. So here's what I want to talk to you about for just a little bit. Exodus 15.3 says this. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. But then the Bible tells me in Genesis that the man was made, we were made in the image of God. That doesn't mean we look like God. It would mean that we would, in spirit, be like God. We would, we, he created us to desire the things that he desires, which is community and And he made you in the image of God. And then in Exodus 15, 3, it says that you were made to be a warrior. But here's our problem. A warrior without a cause to fight for will find the wrong things to fight against. And so you were made to do battle. You were made to do battle in this life. But if you don't figure out what your cause is, if you don't understand what your battle was supposed to be, then you're going to spend your entire life fighting the wrong things. You're fighting with your wife and you're fighting with your boss and you're fighting at your church and you're fighting with your kids because you don't understand what it is that you are supposed to fight for. And I want to help you today and it's going to be about as practical as I know how to make a message. To give you some steps that I believe this with everything in me. If you will take what I want to give you today, if you'll take this and you will take it home and you will do it. Your family will never look the same in Jesus' name. This church will never look the same in Jesus' name if you men would step up and do that. Your, this community would never look the same if you would step up and grab a hold of a couple of these things. The first thing you've got to do, number one, if you're writing notes, you've got to start with the end in mind. You have got to start with the end in mind, with a level of intentionality that is going to change what it looks like in your family. That would mean deciding in advance what the win is for your walk with Jesus. What the win is for your relationship with your spouse. What the win is for your children. See, the reality is, we are allowing the urgent of our every single day to take precedent over the important. And there are things that you need to be investing your life in that quite honestly, our families are dying for. But because we're not giving it, they have no place else to get it. And the problem is now, we're raising generation after generation after generation, not of grown men, but of grown boys. That never knew how to grow up and actually take this place of manhood in their home. Now, I'm going to tell you, I didn't, I, don't, I didn't learn how to do this the easy way. I grew up in an environment that might be similar to some of yours. My parents got divorced when I was very young. My father moved to the other side of the country. So I'm growing up in Georgia without a dad and with a mom. And quite honestly, I was supposed to kind of be, I was kind of the man of the house kind of way before I understood what a man looked like. And so I started painting a picture in my mind of what a man was supposed to be because there was no man in my life that was going to set that standard. And so I started making it up as I went. So I thought a man was supposed to be the most macho guy. So if anybody ever bowed up to me at all, you know, you just punch them in the nose. Pick on people, be a bully, it doesn't matter because that's what a man is. A man in the image that I created viewed women as an object so sleep with as many as you want go after as many and quite honestly treat them as objects here for their sole purpose of pleasing and gratifying me that's what I thought a man was I thought a man was get ahead at all cost regardless of the situation Regardless of how many people you stepped on, make that money, make that money, move up the ladder, do whatever it is that you got to do. That's what I thought that a man was. And I began to paint the picture in my mind. And so when I got older, I I left high school. I went to the United States Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs. I got to play some football out there. and, And again, it began to, it continued to feed into that kind of that macho Man attitude, and I didn't have an idea of what it was that I was supposed to be. I was a liar I was a manipulator. I was a womanizer Um, Probably if I'd have had more free time I'd have been an alcoholic, but they just didn't give me enough time to do it like I wanted to and The reality was I was destroying myself from the inside out and I thought I was being a man. I thought that's what it meant Well, by the grace of God, I was in a practice. I played um, quarterback when I first got out there. We ran the option. I can't throw the ball from me to you, but I was the fastest guy in the state of Georgia when I graduated, and so we ran that option. Well, I got there, and it wasn't long before I realized that if I was gonna start, they were gonna have to move me from quarterback. I went to defensive back. Got a lot of playing time. It was was one of the most fun times of my life. It was a lot of fun. My third year there, though, in a practice, we were getting ready, it was a Thursday, we were in shorts and t-shirts, playing defensive back, I went running across the middle, quarterback throws the ball, I, I look in to slap the ball down, and the tight end that was running the drag that he was throwing the ball to, my chin hit his shoulder as we both sprinted full speed. And I shattered the entire bottom half of my face. I have a titanium jawbone from here back to here and I have no feeling in the bottom part of my face. I was now medically non-commissionable and they gave me my walking papers. And now for the first time in my life, I had nothing and I had no idea how to make a way. And the image of the man that I had created for myself that was so contrary to God's image of a man, of a real man, couldn't prop me up when everything hit the ground. What I want to give you today are the tools that when you walk out of here, you can start building not just yourself into the man that I believe that God has for you, but you can start to lead your family in the way that he's called you to. But it starts, number one, with getting a vision for what you want the end to look like. So for me, I'll give you an example as a husband. We wrote this down when we first got married. We were on our honeymoon and I looked at my wife and I said, what do we want to be in 50 years? She goes, why are you even asking me that? We've been married for 12 hours. And I said, because I want, because if we don't decide what we're going to look like in 50 years, we'll let the urgent take precedent over the important and we'll just become whatever the world tells us we're going to be. So what do we want to be? And what we decided, we wrote down two things. Number one, we said, I still want to be dating in 50 years. Like when you walk in a room, I'm still trying to smooch up on you. And when, and when, you, when you walk in a room, it still takes my breath away. We still got to be dating. And then the second thing we wrote down is we, we still want to be best friends. Well, because we started with the end in mind, we knew that we were going to have to put stuff in place to actually make that happen. It wasn't going to happen accidentally. Guys. Guys. Your wife needs more than an update on your work week. The average couple speaks four minutes a day and it's not their fault because how many of you know when you get home, she ready to talk. She wants to talk. You've got to open up the conversation and if you still want to be dating and if you still want to be friends, you've got to make the decision to decide what the end is going to be and put things in place now I'm going to talk to you how to do that, to put things in place so that when you get there 50 years from now, your family looks like what you decided for it to be. For our kids, I wrote down five things the day that my son, who's my oldest of three, was born. I wrote down five things the day that he was born that I was going to spend the rest of my life until he went out into the world to go be whatever it is that he wanted to be. That I was going to do this every single day of his life. I said, I want you to be honest, number one. I grew up a liar, I grew up manipulating every situation. I want you to be honest in every situation. And so we talk about it every day. There's not many things in my family that you get punished harder for than lying. And every day we talk about it. We sit around the dinner table and I I say, hey man, tell me what's going on. Let me teach you what honest means. I said, "I, I want you to be integrous. You say, well that's the same thing, isn't it? Honesty, integrity, it's actually not. Jesus prayed, Father, that they would be one, just as you and I are one. Well, the word he used was the Greek word integritas, which is the word that we get, where we get the word integer or whole number. What Jesus was actually praying was, Father, that they would be whole, just as you and I are whole. That my son would have integrity, which would mean that whether he was in the locker room, whether he was in the classroom, or whether he was sitting with me in church, that no matter what environment you put my son in, he has integritas, he's whole. And I pray every single day that my son would be whole. And we talk about that being the same in every environment. And we talk about it every night at dinner. That they would be pure. The other day, my four-year-old, I was getting ready to go to bed and every single night, every night of their life, when I put them to bed and I pray for them. Last night I was here in a hotel. They wouldn't go to bed until I called in, FaceTime called in and prayed the blessing over them. Wife calls me on FaceTime, hey, will you bless these kids so they'll go to bed before I bless them out? <laughs> I said, yep. And I prayed and I prayed this every night. And some some things they understand and some things they don't. But my four-year-old daughter just the other day she said, "Daddy, what does pure mean?" She's four years old. She's asking what pure means. I've prayed it over her every single day. She's four years old. She wanted to ask me what's pure mean. Now I'm sitting here racking my brain from the time I turned back around till I walked back in the room, thinking, "How am I going to explain to a four-year-old what purity means?" And before I could get back to the bed, I kneel down next to the bed and I'm trying my best to come up with an answer. And she goes, Daddy, I think I know what one kind of pure is. What, baby? It's where you keep your body clean. And I was like, okay, yeah, no, that's actually perfect. So, um, <laughs> so thanks, babe. And uh, I just needed my four-year-old to help break it down for me. But my four-year-old little girl is already understanding what What her daddy's definition, based on her heavenly father's definition of pure means, and she's deciding that that's a value she needs to hold on to at four years old. How many of you know when she gets 14, if I didn't put some stuff in her at four, somebody else is going to? And I said I wanted to love Jesus. You know, for me, it's love Jesus, but for me, I really wanted to love the church. Just how we talk about the church and how we love the church. We wanted to, we wanted to lead them into loving Jesus. So as a husband, man, we want to be dating in 50 years. I want to still be friends as I, as I raise my kids. Every day we have conversations around those five things. Every day of their life, every day. Now That may not be the most in depth thing in the world, but like for me, see uh, we'll side like side note, this isn't in the notes. I think what we think is training our kids is just disciplining them. Think about this. Anybody in the military? Anybody in here in the military? Okay, so I was in the military. So you remember when, um, when you got into basic, they, didn't train, they weren't training you to do nothing. They didn't teach you how to do anything. They just wanted to hurt you all the time. It was all about Discipline. And once they established discipline, that they were to be listened to at every, in every situation, then they began the training. But discipline and training never happened at the same times. You remember the moment where you finally got to breathe and sit down for a second and nobody was all in your face screaming and talking about your mama and stuff? That was, what, that was the moment where I was actually being trained to be a soldier. The other times I was just being disciplined so that I could be trained. The problem is for a lot of us, the only time you're ever talking to your kids, guys, is when you're disciplining them. So you think you're training them, and all they're hearing is, "I'm about to get a whooping." I'm about to get a whooping. I'm about to get a whooping. I'm about to get a whooping. And you're going, "Hey, you need to be respectful, and you need to listen to your mom." And you need, and all they're hearing is, "I'm about to get a whooping." About to get a whooping. About to get a whooping. About to be about to get a whooping. You think you're training and all you're doing is disciplining. If you want to really train your kids, you have to do it in a conflict-free situation. So you've got to decide who you want your kids to be, and then you've got to do it in a situation where they're not actually in trouble. So if you haven't decided who you want them to be, when you get the alone time with them on the way to Walmart, you don't even know what to talk to them about. I predetermined my conversations with my son on the day that he was born. When I get one-on-one time with my son, I'm gonna talk to him about what it means to be honest. He asked me the other day, he crawled up in my lap. It was early, I was sitting downstairs drinking a cup of coffee, flipping through the newspaper. And he came down and he he asked me this question. It obviously had been on his mind. He crawled up in my lap and he said, Daddy, what's up, bud? He said, when you were little, did you ever make a lie? That's how he says it, make a lie. Did you ever make a lie? I said, no, but your mom did, you need to go talk to her. (laughs) She was a liar. (laughs) I said, no, I did, son. And and this is exactly what I said to him. I said, but you know, your daddy didn't grow up loving Jesus. See, you love Jesus. And because your daddy loves Jesus now, he does everything he can to tell the truth now. But see, you love Jesus now. So you don't have to wait as long as daddy did to figure out that that's the way to go. He's, He's five and a half, six years old. He's learning right now what it means to tell the truth and we do it because we love Jesus. And if you don't establish, quite honestly, the moral imperative underneath everything that you're teaching your kids, which can only happen in the training time, that when your kid screws up and you walk in and you beat their butts because they screwed up and you thought you were training them, when they grow up and they're 18 years old and because I said so doesn't live with them anymore, then they're going to go act like knuckleheads. But when they know, I disciplined you because you messed up, on a time when there's no conflict, I'm going to train you. And then one day I'm gonna tell you that the reason that we did all of this is because Jesus saved us and he loves us and we're gonna live for him. Then when you're, because I said so, doesn't live with them any fo- anymore, the great I am will guide them. Are you with me? So you gotta decide where you're going and then a GPS doesn't work if, 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 number one, you don't know where you are. You ever try to plug in a GPS and didn't have the starting coordinates? Calculating, calculating, calculating. It doesn't do you any good. So you gotta know where you are and then obviously number two, you gotta know where you're going. It's the only way that a route works. And for some of you you would say, well, Josh, man, my kids are already grown. Some of you are listening to this today and go, bro, I got pants that are older than you are. (laughs) And I'm gonna tell you, here's the great thing about my Jesus. Here's the great thing about living a spirit-led life. That it never gets to come out of the mouth of a spirit-led believer of Jesus Christ. If you don't like it, that's just how I am. No, that's the devil talking. If you don't like me, if there's something bad that you see in me, renew my mind today. I'm not done yet. I'm not who I used to be, but I'm not who I'm going to be. It should never come out of a believer's mouth. It should never come out of a man of God's mouth. Hey, if you don't like it, that's just how I am. That's a man that's unsubmitted to God changing him every day. So I don't care if you're 15 or you're 50 or you're 80. Get up tomorrow morning and say, God, I'm not who I was. But I'm not who I'm going to be. I give you permission, God, to do a work in me today. You're not too far gone because the Bible says his mercies are new every day. I think a lot of times we're just living life. You're working, you're doing all this stuff. It's like the other day when I was supposed to be officiating this wedding. How many of you ever knew like a back, back, like back way to go? Like a shortcut? And I knew this was going to work. Kim said, hey, you need to pull that up on your GPS. You don't know where you're, I said, woman. <laughs> I didn't say it like that, but I'm with a bunch of dudes. So that's how I thought it. <laughs> what I actually said was, I know, baby, I figured it out. She said, you don't know where you're going. I said, yeah, but we're making good time. (laughs) So how do we get there? Let me give you some practical. Here's some meat and taters. Number one, build a schedule based on your identity. Okay? Build a schedule based on your identity. So I get to travel a lot, get to ride on a lot of airplanes, and it never fails. I'm sitting next to some dude. And he's always, you know, never, not one time. Never, not one time on an airplane. Well, one time. And I asked to be moved. Old dude looked at me and he goes, hey, tell me who you are. (laughs) I'm like, bing, bing. I need to move. (laughs) Brother trying to ask me about who I am. What's a guy say to you when you sit next to him on the plane? Hey, man, what do you do? What do you do? Because unfortunately for a lot of us, our primary identity is, what do you do? and because you've allowed that to be your primary identity, you've allowed that to get the dominance of your schedule. But if you want to lead your family in this way, you're going to have to build a schedule based on your identity. So what's your identity? I hope for everybody in the room, number one, you're a follower of Jesus Christ. You know, that means every day, and if you look at my calendar, this is not a joke. If you look at my calendar on Outlook, the first thing I schedule is God. He's the first appointment. Like, hey, pastor, can I take you out to breakfast? I'm like, no, you cannot. I already have an appointment. He's on there first, and he gets it every single day. He also gets that day of Sabbath time for me, where that is his day. It's not about laying around and taking naps. It's about getting reconnected to my Jesus. Are you with me? So the first thing, I'm I'm serious, this practical, I put it on there, God, he gets the first He gets the first, and you say, Man, Pastor, I'm already got to get up so early. Now I gotta get up even earlier. I think it would just kill me. And I, you know, I'd be, I'd be reading like the same Bible verse, like over and over and over. Because it wouldn't mean anything. And I'm like, oh, so here, so here's what I'll tell you. Here's what you can do. How about you turn off that TV at night? Okay? Because like spoiler alert, Rachel and Ross get together, okay? (laughs) The reruns. Okay? You can turn off them old friends reruns, okay, and, and go to bed. The, the way that God created the heavens and the earth, if you look in Genesis chapter 1, the Bible says there was evening and there was morning the first day. Okay, do you know this? And then the Bible says there was evening, there was morning the second day. You with me? And on and on, evening and morning. That means that the day didn't start when God created the earth in the morning when the sun came up. The day started in the evening when the sun went down. Because God created you so that the very first thing that you would do is rest. You ever go look at your Bibles? Somebody, somebody, just, that burnt tire smell. I'm just messing people up. <laughs> there was evening and there was morning the first day. There was evening and there was morning the second day. So people say, I can't get up. I can't start my day by reading my Bible and praying to God because I mean I have to get up even earlier than I already do. And I just, well then read your Bible and spend time with God before you go to bed. It was actually the way he created the world so that it would be evening and morning. When I read my Bible and I get after God before I go to bed, when I wake up in the morning, I'm not hitting the panic button. I'm hitting that snooze button. There was evening and there was morning the first day. You can actually start your day with Jesus if you'll read your Bible and pray to him before you go to bed. He actually created it so that you would rest first and then out of that place of rest, you would be able to work for him all day. So some of you are actually taking away your daily Sabbath, your daily rest time, because you're staying up too late doing nonsense. The way that God created us was when the sun went down, you were supposed to go to bed. A lot of people tell me, man, pastor, I just can't do it. I'm not a morning person. Nobody's a morning person when they stay up till midnight playing video games. (laughs) That doesn't exist. Nobody's a morning person when they stay up watching movies and reruns all night. You go to bed when the sun goes to bed and you get up early and I promise you, you'll become a morning person. But until then, as you make that transition, give Jesus the first part of your day by praying and spending time with him before you go to bed. Amen? Amen. So I'm a Christian, then I'm a husband. The very next thing that goes on my calendar is my wife. But I'm, t- I'm serious, before any appointment, before any business meeting, before any trip, it doesn't matter, the next thing that goes on my calendar in Outlook is my wife. And I actually, uh, we go out, I take her out on a date and, and I sit down with her and I, say, and I ask her this same question every time we go out, how am I doing? some of you don't want to ask because you've been acting like knuckleheads too long you say baby how am I doing you know the problem is it's gonna shock her so much that you ask that that when you pick her head up out of that etouffee okay (laughs) and she done passed out on your plate then she's gonna tell you hey well there's actually some stuff that's been and the problem is the reason you got these big old giant blowout fights that are such a big old problem is because you don't do regular course corrections. I said you gotta know where you are and you gotta know where you're going. What happens if you don't check your GPS for six hours and you've been riding off in the wrong direction? I think some of us wait so long to check the GPS to see how our marriage and our kids are doing that we get to the place where we don't even feel like we can course correct anymore. So then the very next thing is my wife. She's on there. She gets that time before anybody else, and then I'm a daddy. So then the next thing that I schedule is when am I gonna get that dedicated time to begin to speak those five things into my kids? I'm not talking about dinner and bath time and all that. That doesn't count. That's just me being a part of the family and helping out. But I'm talking about, I'm talking about that time where I'm gonna spend with Jacob, with Lily, with Annabelle to teach them those things. That goes on the calendar next, and then I have a job then I schedule and if you'll make your schedule based on your identity I promise you it will give you an opportunity to reach the thing that you have decided to be at the end of whatever this would look like but if you don't the urgent will always take precedent over the important and you'll grow up with kids who don't love Jesus with a wife that you don't know and a job that gives you a watch when you're done and says thanks hit the bricks we'll use up the next kid that comes in You've got to decide who you want to be and then you've got to create a schedule that mandates it. Is this? Are you staying with me? Number two, so you've got a schedule based on your identity. Number two, you've got to reclaim the dinner table. Part of that scheduling process is you've got to reclaim the dinner table. Families that have dinner together as an entire family unit Statistically, they are three times less likely to ever participate in drug use. Three times less likely for that to even be an issue that you ever have to come across. If you're just getting together as a family three nights a week, suicide rates go down. Communication in the family goes up. The grades on average are much higher. College enrollment and acceptance, is exponentially higher for families that have dinner together. Lower stress. So what does that mean? If you're going to schedule based on your identity, you're going to have to learn how to say no to activities. You're going to have to learn how to say no. And guys, let me say this. As a former athlete, I did it. I, I've, there were many days where I would run a track meet and then run down and play center field, change in the dugout, come back up and play a soccer game. There's many days where I did those kinds of things. But I'll tell you, I I grew up to be a hot mess that didn't love Jesus and only lived for me. me. Let me tell you a lie that's permeated our nation team sports don't build character, guys. That's a lie from the pit of hell. I don't know if you know that or not. Team sports don't build character. Logically, if team sports built character, then the people of the highest moral fiber in our nation would be professional football players and basketball players and baseball players. And you don't have to watch Sports Center very long to realize they're morally bankrupt. Team sports don't build characters. Dad, dads with character raise children with character. But you can't do it if you don't decide who you are and who you want them to be and if you don't build a schedule where you can get around them more often. And I get it. It's a thing that we're already wrestling with. Like my son in, was in t-ball and I got, you know, and then me, I'm all like adrenaline. Like he needs you to go, son, you got to pay attention. We're going to be the greatest team. And I'm like pep talking these kids. I'm like, Shelby, Shelby, quit dancing. No dancing in t-ball Shelby. And she's like, I just have to sometimes. I just have to dance. Shall we? pay attention. We're going to be the best T-ball team that's ever lived in the history of T-ball. And my wife's over there like, this is so dumb. And so many of us, like we were, like every year that goes by, we were greater and greater athletes in high school. And as we retell it and we remember it, like by, by the time my kids are in high school, I, will have, I was six foot four and 315 pounds in high school. And I get that we like that vicarious thing, but I'm gonna tell you, there's not a greater gift. You, you getting your kid on the football team isn't the greatest gift that you can give them. That kid hitting a home run to win the game is not the greatest gift that you can give him. You deciding in advance the kind of person that you want them to be and you spending every single day to help them get there, that's the best gift that you can give them. So you're gonna to have to say no to activities. Just as much as you need to make a to-do list, you need to make a not to-do list. Like we're not going to be on every team. We're not going to go to every activity. We're not going to be in every committee. We're not going to be, we're going to build our schedule as a family based on our identity. We're Christians first. So the first thing we figure out how to make happen in our week is when are we going to serve our local church? That's the first thing we do if the local church is the hope of the world and Jesus you died for your local church And that is your bride that you're coming back for then as a family We don't decide how to fit church into our life. It's not a an appendage that we try to add on It is the backbone that supports my family So the first thing we decide as a family is where and when are we serving in the house? That's the first thing we ask not how do we fit it around? PTA and t-ball and football and all those things the first thing we decide God where are you going to get our talents? our times and our treasures you with me? Then we decide like the family stuff and and where the kids but this child-centered thing where uh, we got nine-year-olds dictating the schedules of the entire family is ludicrous And and The thing is guys I'm gonna tell you it's fun for a season but then you wake up with an 18 year old that doesn't know how to make decisions based on God's best for his life. So you gotta start with the end in mind. You gotta schedule based on your identity. And then number three, this may be the most important one, you gotta play by the rules. You have, to introduce change into your house, you're going to have to also introduce conflict. The problem is you don't know how to fight and you're fighting the wrong way. And every time you come in to make a quote unquote command decision, you're destroying the fabric of your family instead of building it closer and tighter. There are four stages of conflict. Let me give them to you real quick. This is, let, me, let me see if I can explain a fight. So you're, 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 you know, you're, you're sitting on the couch, watching something. You're a little ticked off about something, but like whatever, because if I bring it up, then we're gonna have to get into this thing and like, whatever, so you're just watching the game, right? And she come in and she go, what, baby, what's wrong? What's wrong? And then this is the end, no, I'm fine, I'm fine. Well, anybody that's ever said I'm fine is not fine, right? (laughs) So she mad because she wants to talk to you now because she realized I'm fine, means that you're not fine, but you've withdrawn, that's the first stage. Withdrawal is the first stage of conflict. So you've withdrawn from the fight and you're trying to watch the game and then, then she pulls one of these moves where she come in like this between you and the TV. Babe, we need to talk. And withdrawal can happen a couple of different ways. You can physically withdraw, like you leave the room or you slam a door uh, you shut you, you turn off the phone. I mean, I, I'm going to tell you, I used to be a really, really good powder, but iPhones have made it hard to pout. Like back in the day, we had a handset, a little girlfriend to call the house and she' say something dumb. "Oh, really? Really? That's what you think? Hang that thing up all mad and hateful. And now you guys don't even know what I'm talking about. these younger generation, you don't even know what I'm talking about with the iPhone. You'd be like, "Oh, really? Really? You think that's what it is. Really? Beep. Like that's not beep. That's not manly. Beep. How am I supposed to withdraw? Beep. So you physically withdraw, you hang up the phone, you actually leave the room, or you just shut down emotionally. Fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I withdraw. Well, then we move into step two, because you, this grizzly bear has gone into his cave because he doesn't want to talk to you about whatever thing is going on in his life. And, and, um, and then so she's standing outside the cave, throwing rocks into the cave, trying to get that grizzly bear to talk. It's like, what's wrong? You never do. And this is where we move into the second fight. This is the part of the fight where we go from, uh, I'm tired of your wet towels being left on the floor to your mom's a nut, okay? Like, it escalates, okay? And what it started as isn't even what it becomes. That's not, we're not even what we're fighting about. And that's when we start using statements like, you always and you never. And she's standing outside that thing. You always, blah, 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 and you never want to talk to me about it. And you always want to, Well, you don't always and never do anything. It's just the second stage in conflict, escalation. So I withdrew. Then I'm standing outside the cave throwing those rocks in. Oh, you always do this and you never do that. And we blah, 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 blah. Then you move into the third stage. Now the bears tick. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever seen a bear come out of a cave after someone has been throwing rocks at him. But he never comes out with a smile on his face. He wants to hurt people. This is when you move into the third stage of conflict called belittling. And guys, we come out and go, oh, you want to fight? You want to go now? Well, I'm about to win this. The problem is anybody that's been, been in a relationship with somebody longer than about 35 seconds knows the one thing that you can say to absolutely destroy them. And that's the point in the fight where you decide to use it. You come out and you put her in her place. The problem is you put scars on a heart that you can't fix. The great news is you won the fight. If that matters. You won the fight. And then you move into the fourth stage of conflict, which is false beliefs. This is where you go lay down on the couch now because y'all are fighting. Or she goes to her mama's house. And she has convinced herself completely that, man, maybe I, mama was right, maybe he is real, real dumb. Or you go lay on the couch thinking, man, maybe I shouldn't have gotten married so earlier. You know, that secretary at work, she listens to me. She knows, man, she knows. And, and I know I've had that Facebook request pending from that ex-girlfriend for a long time and I, I haven't messed with it, but man, I probably should just accept that today. She probably understands what I'm going through. And you're in this place of false beliefs because the devil is the father of lies. And so what we decided to do in our family was come up with a set of rules. Some house rules that we decided that no matter what, come hell or high water, we were going to abide by these rules. So we're going to start with the end in mind. We're going to schedule based on our identity. And then we're going to play by the rules. Let me give you a few of ours really quick. Mawney family rules. Number one, we will never quit. We will never quit. So divorce is never allowed to be brought up in a conversation. It is never allowed to be an issue in our home because we entered, when we stood up in front of a body of believers and in front of God himself and said that we committed to be with each other for the rest of our life, we believed that we were entering into a covenant, not a contract. You know what a contract relationship is? You do for me and I'll do for you. I took out the trash so you need to do the dishes. I took the kids to practice so you need to uh, vacuum the house. That's contract. That doesn't look anything like the love of Uh, of a husband and a wife that the Bible talks about. In fact, I believe that your marriage was supposed to be a window into heaven so that when people would see the five things that Jesus gave you that you could never earn, that you were freely giving to her, that people would actually wanna know the God that you know and go to the places that you go. That We would love, serve, submit, forgive, and accept one another, just, just as the Bible says, Christ gave all five of those things to you, and that when you were doing that for her, not because she had done something for her, for you, but in Ephesians 5, 27, it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Uh, because of Jesus, I'm gonna try to outserve my wife every single day. And the goal in our house is that we try to outserve each other. And when we do that, we understand that we've entered into a covenant with each other and that what God has brought together, let nobody separate. And the reality is what we actually end up doing is we say, if you don't take out the trash, then I'm not going to do this. If you don't take the kids to practice, then I'm not going to let you have sex with me later. And if we don't do this and we don't do that. And what we're actually doing is this contract marriage. And all we're waiting on is one violation of the rules, one violation of the contract so that I can look at you and say, I want a divorce. That is not the marriage that the Bible talks about. That is not what God has called me and you into. And if you don't get in your place that we're entering into a covenant and not a contract, you will always be looking for the back door. There's not a greater, come on, yeah, give Jesus a hand of praise. Hey, hey, you wanna talk about the greatest catalyst for growth in your marriage? You wanna give it to you? Covenant. Covenant. The single greatest thing you will ever do is look at her and say, no matter what. You know what covenant does? When there's always a back door. If every time I come home and she got like her shoes by the door and her office is a mess and there's, you know, the laundry's this and the, the stuff of that, like, and, and, and every day, like, and I just never talk, I just bottle it up, bottle it up. And I've always believed that, man, I will just get divorced if I end up not liking her enough. Then if I... Uh, then if I leave myself a back door, then I never even try to help her get better because the reality is I'm just, I'm just waiting until I find something better. But if I've entered into a covenant where quitting is absolutely not an option for me or for her, I promise you I will help fix those things in our relationship that bug me because I don't want to deal with it for the next 70 years. The greatest thing you'll ever introduce into your family is covenant instead of doing marriage by contract. Because I know if I'm going to have to deal with you for 70 years, we're going to get that wet towel up off that floor. Come on, somebody. Y'all like, man. Number two, our second rule in our house. We have one day to fight. We have one day to deal with conflict. I'm a powder. We got any powders in the room? Yeah, we got some liars in the room. I can tell y'all are powders. Y'all are mad because of something I said 15 minutes ago, <laughs> pouting. I'm a world-class powder. I could pow for decades if I need to. But we made a deal based on Ephesians 4.26. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Then we took the spirit of that verse and said, I'm not going to stay angry for weeks and hold a grudge over you. We've we got to have a day to deal with the conflict. So the way that that practically works out in my house is she comes to me and says, look, I can tell something's bothering you. When you're ready, let's talk. Because she knows that we've entered into a covenant and that this is the the rules that we live by in our house, she doesn't have to chase the bear into the cave. She goes, okay, Mr. Bear, you're going in that cave, but you got a day, Jack. I'll be out here. And instead of me pouting over something for weeks, we deal with it based on this covenant that we've entered into as a family. Our third rule we will not use always and never in a fight. The reality is when you're standing outside the cave throwing rocks, all you're trying to do is get them to talk. You don't even care why they're upset. You just wanna have the conversation. But Proverbs 18:13 says to speak before listening is folly and shame. So we say, man, we wanna to seek to understand more than be understood. Next rule in our house. We will never say the thing to win the fight. We will never say the thing to win the fight. How many of you know you got that thing that could shut her down and you've used it? And I'm gonna tell you, some of you need to go home today and repent for having used it. Some of you have used it recently and she's wounded and you want her to just to get over it and she can't. She can't. Now she can fake it and she can smile at you when you come in the door and act like she's happy that you're there but the wounds you've put on her heart, you need to go back and start trying to make right. But Ephesians 4.29 says this, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is good for the building up of others, so that all who listen would benefit. There ought to be two things that you qualify every sentence that ever comes out of your mouth. Not just is it true, not just is it true, but is it right? It's gotta be true, but it's gotta be right. Only that which is good for the building up of that beautiful woman that's given her entire life to you. Number five, this is to protect us if we've ever gotten to that place of false beliefs. If we're in trouble, we will get help. We're not gonna pretend. And I'm gonna tell you, this is the kind of church, if you're in trouble, get help. If you're in trouble, you need to talk to somebody. If you've got that secret thing, I'm gonna tell you, if there's a thing in your life that you pray to God nobody ever finds out about, the devil of hell owns you in that area of your life. You need to talk to somebody. Number six, we will never yell. We just said, we're just not gonna raise our voice. And I'm gonna tell you, these rules are actually printed up and framed in our house. Got a nice little frame, topped them all up. And because that way, if something ever happens, we don't, I, don't, I don't point at you and say, hey, you said you weren't gonna yell. I say, hey, babe, we agreed we weren't gonna do this. I point back to the covenant, not to her mistake. But we said, we're never gonna yell. Number seven, we will parent as a team. We just said, we're gonna parent as a team. We're not, we're not picking fights with each other. So we will discipline, we will train, and we will coach together. If she says it, there is, no, there is no reason. And so in our home, because that's a house rule, and my kids know that that's a house rule, if I told you something, and then you go ask your mom to see if you can get a different answer, you are immediately punished. Immediately punished. We're a team. The fact that you went and asked means you're looking for division in our home. Number eight. Um... We, no, let me. I'll explain this one. We love by making each other better. We're going to covenant that we're, gonna, that we're not just going to love each other. You know, the, the kind of love you feel when you're 16 years old is like, oh, man, man I, just love I just love her. I love her. You talk to a 16-year-old girl about her little boyfriend, and she goes, uh, we never fight. We never, we never fight. Well, it's because you're, you're dumb. You're a, you're, a, you're a dumb little human. But, um, so, but what we said is we're going to have the kind of love, honestly, that brings about conflict in our home. And we're not scared of it because we have rules for how we're going to fight with each other. But true love isn't just accepting somebody as they are. True love is accepting somebody as they are and then refusing to let them stay there. That's the way that Jesus loves you. He took you with all your hurts and your hangups and your brokenness and your sin and your pain and your problems. He just doesn't want you to stay there. Real love is helping you take a step, not sit in the mess. And so this rule actually brings about conflict. This is that time where I'm like, hey, babe, I I, I, I need to talk to you about some stuff. Number nine, we make decisions as a family, okay? We make decisions as a family, but we trust dad to lead us. And the only reason that rule sticks is if I commit to keep Jesus first in my life. The only way that rule works is if I'm following him and I can look at my wife and my kids and say, follow me as I follow Jesus. So we're gonna, I'm not gonna come in and make some command decision and I don't care, pack your stuff, we're moving. But at the end of the day, I'm gonna bring it to you. We're gonna talk about it as a family, but my family trusts me to ultimately make the decision. And then number 10, our family We'll give our lives away to Jesus. So ultimately, number 10, it is the finished product. It is where our family wants to be. So our rules point us in the direction to be more like him. We will give our family away to Jesus. Now I'll be honest with you guys. I wasn't, uh, this isn't where I started. I told you when we, when we Kind of at the outset, I mean, I was a, my dad and I weren't around each other growing up. In fact, I didn't see him from the time I was nine until I was 21 years old. I was 21 years old, and I hadn't seen him all that time. And how about, we're going to close up. Where are my little keys, man? Yeah, play, play me some keys. It's always better with keys, isn't it? It's always better. So I went, to my, I went to my dad, it was actually one of those situations where um, I knew he was in town, I hadn't seen him since I was nine years old, we had no relationship. Um, and my dad was a very successful businessman, I mean, worldwide operations manager for a billion dollar company, had traveled all over the world, I mean, and done all these things, and very, this very successful man, and I went to him and I said, I, like I walked up to him like at a, at a uh, restaurant where I knew he was in town, And it had been so long since I actually saw him that he didn't even know who I was. Like I had to introduce myself. He he literally looked up and he was like, how you doing man? I was like, it's Josh. Now at that point, I had just left the Air Force Academy. My jaw's wired shut. Um, I've got, I haven't finished my education. I had this little girlfriend. That I was all super in love with, and she broke up with me. I had just lost my job. Um, I didn't have any way to pay my bills. I the r- rent for the little apartment that I had was all I couldn't pay it. I I was uh, I was a, I was like a I was like a horrible country song. Like, And I'll never forget. Like we had gone out, I, I just spent some time with him. I, there was so much about them separating and him being gone that I didn't understand, and I had a lot of questions. But at that point, I just—I'll never forget. I was sitting in this little apartment with a bunch of horrible furniture and no education, no money, no girlfriend, no friends, no nothing. I. I felt like I had been become like this poster child for unrealized expectations. And I looked at him, I was sitting on this chair and he was just sitting right across from me and I said, Dad, I don't have anything. I got no job, I got no money. I got no future, I got no way to make it right. I don't have a plan B for my life. I'm sitting here and my face is all busted up. My, my plans have all been And I never knew what it was like to be a man. So now I don't even know where to go. I don't even know what to do. I'll never forget the tears running down his face. He just put his arms out and he said, son, I hear all that, but you're mine. And it was in that moment that I realized it wasn't going to be about what trophy I won, what award I got, it wasn't going to be about what school that I finished, it wasn't going to be about all those things that for some reason, in spite of all the shortcomings, in spite of all of that, he just looked at me and he said, yeah, but you're mine. And I'm gonna tell you, if you wanna lead your family, you're going to have to come to a place today where you, look, where you go to your heavenly father and you say, look, father, I ain't got no money. I haven't been doing marriage the right way. I haven't been doing life the right way. Some of you hear this today, and it's actually a disheartening message for you because you think your opportunity to affect some of those things that I talked about is gone. And I'm gonna tell you, no, it's not. Not just in your family, but in your church family. And maybe for you, because I know that God never wastes a hurt, Maybe for you, it was the years of the bad marriage that you wish you could take back. That's why you need to step up right now as a man and begin to lead young couples into healthy biblical marriage. That yeah, I get it that you spent a lot of years letting work become the primary focus and now your kids are grown. And you think, oh, well, Josh, this message isn't for me. No, this message is for you because you need to go start a group. You need to go get around some young couples. And you need to start teaching those young men how to schedule based on your identity. Because what the devil of hell wants you to hear today is you're too far gone or your best ministry days are behind you. And what God wants you to hear today is he's not finished with you yet and when you come to him today and you say god i don't i've got all kinds of come on give jesus your best hand of praise in my family i tell my family all the time hey guys i reserve the right to get smarter so every now and then i go home and i just say hey look i've been messing up i i need to fix some things i want you to go home today and say hey guys i reserve the right to get smarter We're gonna fix some things. I wanna have a conversation about our schedules. I wanna have a conversation about the rules that we use to fight in this house. We're gonna make it look a little different because the reality is when people look at the way that you love, serve, submit, forgive, and accept the people in your home, just as Christ freely gave those things to you, that people ought to be able to look through the front door of your home and it ought to be a window into heaven that people would actually want to know the God that you know and want to go the places that you go. And it's going to start with you today realizing, Dad, Heavenly Father, I ain't got no money. I've been messing up my marriage. I've been messing it up with my kids. I am not done. I'm not who I was, but I'm not who I'm going to be. And you know what he's ready to look at you and say today? Yeah, I know that, some but, but you're mine but your mind and it would come from a place today even some of you I just get this sense like you're here today and you did the man thing and I'm glad some of you need today to quit need to stop acting acting like a Christian and you actually need to become one today like you know all the stuff to say. I talk to people all the time in church. And they, how's it going? <laughs> I'm too blessed to be stressed, Pastor. <laughs> I'm too anointed to be disappointed, hallelujah. <laughs> and I'm like, God, y'all fought the whole way here. You smell like a liquor cabinet. Why don't you tell me the truth? I'd love it. I'm going to tell you, you know what your pastor wants? You to walk in one day, he's like, hey, how's everything going? Well, pastor, I looked at porn all night last night. Me and the wife fought the whole way here, and I hate my children. Good luck today. You get to that spot, and and God can start to do something in your life. Some of you today just need to say, hey, you know, I'm not too blessed to be stressed. I'm not too anointed to be disappointed. I'm broken, and... I've been playing at Christianity and today I need to give Jesus my life. I can't lead my family into that place to which I have never gone. And the problem in the South, we've been around church all our lives. But I'm going to tell you, going to church every Sunday doesn't make you any more of a Christian than sitting in my garage makes you my car. It ain't automatic. You're gonna to have to come to a place, and maybe it's today, you say, God, I give you my life. Surrendering your life to Jesus today is the simplest saying, God, I acknowledge that you haven't been first place. Like, I've been playing at this church thing. But Jesus, I believe that you died for me so that I can live for you. And today, I'm gonna to walk out of here, and I'm gonna begin the journey of becoming that man. I'm going to lead my family. I'm going to take control of our schedule. And if I got grown kids, man, I'm going to invest my story and my life back into my church so that other young families don't do it the way we did it. And we're going to change the game. And it's going to start today. But Jesus, it can't happen until I commit my life to you. and give you my life. Today, I commit to stop acting like a Christian. Today, I choose to be one. And I'm going to pray for you. I'm not going to bring you down front or anything. I'm just going to pray for you. It's not about me or anything else. It's really about you today deciding I'm going to man up. And I can't man up disconnected from the greatest man that ever lived. And I'm just going to pray for you right there in your seat and then we'll close. Father, we love you. Come on, church, just pray it right there in your seat. You just say, God, I give you my life. God, I give you my family. I don't want to play at church. I'm ready to stop acting like a Christian. Today I choose to be one. I acknowledge, Jesus, you were not first in my life. But you died for me so that I could live for you. And today, in the best way I know how, I commit my life to you. Take my life. Man, right there with your heads bowed and eyes closed, right there, just ask God, God, give me a vision for my marriage at the end of my life. Give me a vision for my kids as they grow. Give me a vision for how you can use me on this earth. Give me your supernatural grace to walk it out. Father God, I thank you for every man that's represented in this room today. God, I thank you for the life change that can be represented when some men get together in this way and say, God, I'm not going to pretend anymore that I give you my life. And I pray today that we would walk out of here more dedicated than ever to making schedules based on our identities, to living and playing by the rules, And that, God, we're going to decide the vision that you have for us and our families and our kids. And we're not going to let anybody take it away from us in Jesus' name. I thank you for this church that values men. And I thank you for these men as they come alongside each other in these next days to help each other live this out. And, Father, I pray that we would look back many years from now and say that was the day. That was the day that, Jesus, you changed everything because you called a room full of men up to be men connected to the greatest man that ever lived. We give you the praise and the glory and the honor that you're due. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you guys.
1: If you just made that decision, let me be the first to say congratulations. The decision to follow Christ is just the beginning of your relationship with God. So we'd love to help you with your next steps. If you'll go to northwood.tv connect and fill out the online information card, our lead pastor, Van DeCote, wants to send you a letter that tells you some more steps to take that'll help you maintain your new relationship with God. We're one church in multiple locations. We have a campus in Gulfport, Wiggins, and in Long Beach, Mississippi. If you live in one of these areas, we'd love to see you at one of our services. You can visit our website, northwood.tv, for service times and locations. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do that online as well. Just go to northwood.tv slash give or simply text the amount you'd like to give to 228-215-3421. Again, that's 228-215-3421. Standard data rates and text charges may apply. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you next time.